this is Dr. Bob Evans, and welcome to our podcast, Parental Alienation from Couch to Courtroom and Beyond. We will discuss the resisting and refusing dynamic, commonly referred to as parental alienation, how you'll know it's happening in your case, and what can be done about it. Parental alienation can cause stress and trauma in high-conflict cases. These podcasts focus on how attorneys and mental health professionals can support families and children. Well, welcome back, everybody. Um, I wanted to talk today about an article that was written by Karen Woodall out of the UK. And the un- the title of her, her podcast, that wasn't a podcast, it was an um, um, email, was Understanding and Treating Induced Psychological Splitting in Children of Divorce and Separation. Well, I read that thing on and basically it was really a good article on uh, psychological splitting. And so I wanted to share some of the pieces to it, and I, most of what I'm about to say is uh, from her article. She deserves, uh, she wrote this just uh, 31 October. We're talking about um, Halloween. And so she discusses psychological splitting. It's the underlying defense seen in children who are manipulated and pressured to align with one parent and reject the other after a divorce or separation. So when this alignment and rejection behavior is accompanied by a lack of empathy or guilt toward uh, the parent being rejected, psychological and emotional harm is likely being caused to the child. Simultaneously to the rejection is an idealization of the parent to whom the child is aligned. We refer to that, of course, as the favored parent. The child's alignment and rejection is really a red flag to mental health and legal professionals. We're going to talk about that in a minute. The need that emerges is to find the cause because the behavior is a maladaptive display which denotes pressure upon the child in the family system. It is just uh, counterintuitive. It's counterinstinctual. Sometimes based upon inspection of such situations, the source of the pressure is located some parents have insight and stopped the behaviors. I've actually had one case where a, a parent was informed that what she was doing was being harmful to the child, and she stopped. I have to tell you, 20-plus years of doing this, that was the only case. But anyway, sometimes that parent has the insight, and they stop the behaviors, which cause the problem. But unfortunately, as we know, some don't. When they When they do, it's possible to run programs to support both parents, and when they don't, well, protective separation is necessary. We call them sequestering. We talk about no contact, etc. In cases where there's domestic abuse, where is the cause of the child's rejection, and psychological splitting is not seen in children who have witnessed, have been witnessing domestic violence or domestic abuse. And so it's inappropriate for alienation, parental alienation, reunification approaches. So when you have justification for a rejection, this is not what we're talking about. What is seen in children who have witnessed abuse, domestic violence, if you will, um, is basically a much less polarized alignment and rejection with the parents involved. 
It is not the role of a treating clinician to make a finding of whether domestic abuse is the cause of the rejection. That's the property and role of the court to decide. That's a real important distinction because what happens is many mental health professionals, therapists, getting involved in these cases, think it's their duty to uncover the abuse. The abuse has already been determined by the court. And so going after that abuse identification process disrupts the the therapeutic reunification process. If it's already done and decided that it has there or it's not there, they need to move on because their role is about reunification. Parental alienation reunification work is appropriate where it is found that there has been emotional and psychological harm to the child in the absence of domestic abuse by the parent being rejected. We're ruling out the idea that the rejected parent caused the child's rejection. The five-factor model of parental alienation, however, is not used in any treatment intervention, according to Karen, and then she makes a good point, because it's used simply to prove to the courts that parental alienation is present. According to Karen Woodall, the five factors provide nothing in support of the therapeutic work with children and families and is meaningless outside of a deeper differential assessment and, in fact, can do great harm in the hands of inexperienced clinicians. And we know that's true because traditional therapy usually makes the uh, situation much worse. Regarding the factor of a prior good relationship, all children attach to their parents. Some suffer attachment distortions later on, leading to latent vulnerabilities to splitting in the face of difficult dynamics. But forcing parents to fight in court about who's a good parent and who's a bad parent, i.e. one of the factors who had a previously loving relationship, in terms of a resolution of the underlying ideology of the problem, just doesn't make any sense. Basically, all children are attached to their parents. Now, outside of some exceptions in terms of psychological difficulties with a child and different parameters within dynamics in a family, that's usually the case. Parental alienation is simply a construct built upon psychiatric approaches to diagnosis. It is not caused by high conflict. Parent alienation is not caused by high conflict. It takes far more understanding and careful differentiation and the ability to build an effective treatment plan to go forward. The five-factor model is used as a diagnostic tool, and interventionists need to go beyond this in order to assist children to recover from psychological splitting. Psychoanalytic understanding of families is, in the crisis of separation, is, is the detailed explanation of what is happening to children who align and reject and why it gives us a huge amount of information about how to intervene in families where primitive defenses are at play. Psychological splitting is one of the primitive defenses. It occurs with denial and projection in which a person has experiences that are intolerable. Excuse me. They are denied, okay, and they wind up being split off from conscious awareness in order to reduce anxiety. That's what the function of our defense mechanisms are, is to reduce our anxiety so we can go forward in the world. Those split-off parts of who we are are then projected onto others, and for children of divorce and separation, the split-off parts are uh, 
usually intolerable, and they're projected onto their mother and father. So depending on who's pressuring the child, either consciously or unconsciously, the projection onto parents looks like idealization of one parent and demonization of the other parent. When, when this is accompanied by a lack of empathy or the absence of authentic fear of that parent being rejected, splitting as a defense is present in the child. If splitting is present, then further investigation is needed to locate the source of the pressure which is causing this. When the source is located, usually a trial of intervention to test the capacity of that parent to recognize the harm being caused and to assess their ability to stop the behaviors which cause it. And that's when this remediation process can begin. A red flag for manipulation of a child's internal and external experience of the world consists of the child's rejection of a parent accompanied by a lack of empathy towards that parent, omnipotence and inauthentic expressions of fear of that parent. The expressions of fear are typically false or exaggerated and they are not based on anything done by the rejected parent. Simultaneously, there's a strong alignment and idealization of the other parent, the favorite parent. What it tells us is that the child's object relationships have become distorted by the foreshadowing of parental pressures. When the court is satisfied that manipulation of the child through some means is at play and that this is causing harm to the child, intervention can begin. Once again, it is always the case that such interventions are delivered only in cases where there are no findings of domestic abuse. You will find detractors of parental alienation constantly bringing up the idea that children are abused and therefore there's no alienation and they, they use alienation as an excuse for abusive parents to get custody of the children. That is happens so infrequently if it happens at all. So regardless of the campaign claims that we hear frequently from deniers, that people who do this kind of work remove children from protective parents to place them with abusive ones, the reverse is true. Parental alienation reunification approaches are not appropriate in situations where domestic abuse has been found. I just repeat it because it is continuously um, misstated in courtrooms and and in the literature. So it's important to get this out so it's, you know that this is not going on. The only time such interventions can be delivered are in situations where a child is found to be harmed by a parent who is manipulating their experience of relationship with themselves and others. So by far the most powerful shift to support children affected by, um, affected by induced psychological splitting would be transparency and clarity about the role of mental health professionals and their relationships with the court. This work cannot be done effectively if it is not held properly by the judge in a case, and it cannot be dealt with simply by legal intervention. You can't legally order this solution to this problem. When the court and the mental health professionals work as they should, intervention and change for the child's swift reunification is very possible. Protecting a child from the ongoing manipulations of a parent is the role of the court 
integrating the child's split state of mind using structural therapy is the role of the mental health professional. Court's first job is to stop the abuse. So where children have recovered from the induced split state of mind, further work must be done with the attached distortions which led to the vulnerability to splitting in the first place. Attachment distortions cannot be treated as a routine to reunification because the underlying power dynamic, which is structural, prevents that. Thus, the correct route to treatment is structural intervention first and then attachment work second. And unfortunately, what frequently happens in these cases is the court typically refers to the reunification process and the reunification specialist focuses on attachment issues. So training rejected parents to use what's referred to as therapeutic parenting post-integration of the child's mindset enables a deeper level of remedial work to take place. This protects the child and builds resilience to parental manipulation later in life. We find that once these children are learn to be reunited, reestablished, reattached, sometimes they become very um, resistant or resilient from uh, future attempts to manipulate them. So currently in the United States and the UK, there are powerful efforts being made to eradicate the use of parental alienation as a label. And then this is only serving to confuse the non-professional in the world, the legal professionals and other people who are not extremely well read in on this phenomenon. We got the resist and refuse phenomenon and and there's a history of just changing the name, the terminology, and it's just simply meant to distract people in this field. When transparency about why children are removed from parents is made more widely available, The false narratives which aim to convince people that children are being removed from protective parents to be given to abusive parents will stop. But we have to get the education out there a lot more pervasive than it is now. Children of divorce and separation are removed from parents who harm them into the kinship of the parent who has been forced at a distance from the child. In other words, they've been been separated. They're separated from this child because somebody has done this to the child. In every respect, every respect, this work is properly the duty of legal professionals with statutory power, i.e. judges, magistrates, to undertake structural intervention in partnership with skilled psychotherapists who understand how to treat children and families affected by these primitive defenses. Look, whatever we call manipulation of children in divorce and separation, whatever label you want to use, it is psychological and emotional abuse. And when children are helped and the splitting is resolved, their life chances are vastly improved. This conclusion is borne out because of, uh, despite all the negative claims that this work has been uh, laid upon, people like Karen Woodall and many others who are doing this work in terms of reunification. Well, that's it for now, and I hope this was very helpful. Karen Woodall, check out her uh, email. So again, if you're a parent experiencing parental alienation, um, please share this information with your therapist, with counselors, with your attorney, 
And if they're not listening, invite them to listen to our podcasts and or go to our website to take some of the courses that we have for um, mental health professionals, attorneys. Uh, should be very helpful. Appreciate your listening and um, see you next time. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on this topic, please visit www.drbobevans.com or www.naopas.com. We offer classes for both legal and mental health professionals to help educate them on the signs and strategies of parental alienation and how to move forward for a healthier environment for the children of divorce. Please visit www.naopas.com and sign up for our courses and use coupon code PODCAST for a 50% discount.